Touchdown! Hey everyone, I'm Scott Hansen from NFL Red Zone. I'm CNN's Coy Wire and former NFL player. Hi, I'm Nat Coombs. I'm Michael McGuire from Gridiron. I'm Toast Sports' Will Gavin. If you want to see the best in the NFL, check out Decipher Sport. Check out Decipher Sports. Check out Decipher Sport. Check out Decipher Sport. Check out Decipher Sport. I'm Neil Reynolds, and this is the Decipher Handoff. Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Decipher Handoff, the brand new podcast series that puts your NFL fandom center stage uh, we are uh, the great podcast for new fans across the uk uh, germany and across mainland europe each month you will hear from uh, former players current players coaches league executives uh, broadcast members as we look to put you center stage which celebrating the growth of this game uh, as america's game truly becomes a global game and joining me uh, this week is a man who punted in the NFL for many seasons, uh, started out with the Ryan Fire in NFL Europe as well, uh, and is now an NFL alumni board member, Kyle Richardson. Kyle, how are you? I'm great, Neil. Thanks for having me. This is a, an honor to be on and look forward to revisiting some of my past uh, that did bring me to Europe. Yes, let's do one of the most recent past things first, though, because you punted a few footballs in your time. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, we've just had Super Bowl 57, uh, which featured a huge punt return from Kadarius Tony, maybe for the Chiefs, maybe shifted the complete momentum of that game. Uh, As a punter, did you feel for Aaron Sipsis from Australia as he as he booted that one and then watched it come straight back down his throat? Yeah, that's true. That's a helpless feeling. You know, sometimes it's like the Red Sea is partying and you can't. (laughs) do anything to stop it because those guys are coming so fast at you and uh, you're ground zero. Uh, But, you know, those are the moments in the the biggest game that you hope never happened. And, um, you know, unfortunately it, it, uh, it did, but uh, you know, the recovery of that for the team, they uh, couldn't seem to, uh, they did. I think you're right. They lost some momentum there and, and uh, that's a big turning point, but you know, you talk about the Australian rules uh, type mm-hmm. of player that, you know, he, and this whole transition, Darren Bennett kind of set the tables years ago, who became a punter after mm-hmm. uh, coming from Australia. And uh, actually that was my day and time when Darren was uh, on the scene and booming these high arching punts uh, was quite something six foot uh, five, you know, tall individual. And, uh, he, he liked to play the old rugby or Australians uh, yeah. type of tackling with a, a arm bar <laughs> down and he'd get flags for not tackling properly. He was a punter who wanted to get involved. That was for sure. Um, let's talk about your journey a little bit then, um, because uh, obviously you went college football uh, and then you found yourself with the Ryan Fire in NFL Europe. And uh, I enjoyed uh, watching you. I enjoyed writing about you. We'll get into that in a second. But yeah, how did you make your way to uh, Dusseldorf, Germany? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a long winding story, but there's a lot of my type of stories in the NFL. You know, you you find yourself after leaving college and maybe you weren't drafted, which most kickers and punters in the NFL are not. They, the teams would not put a draft choice on a, a kicking position. And and we all know that. So we kind of have to find our way in. Uh, and I was actually fortunate to have a college coach that became an NFL coach, a guy named Ray Perkins. Um, he actually went back to the uh, NFL and was at the time was the quarterback coach for uh, the New England Patriots with Bill Belichick. And actually, uh, Coach Perkins is a, a legendary coach, uh, coached at University of Alabama uh, and uh, played NFL himself. So I kept his uh, contact information after I graduated. Um, I took a chance and I called him at the New England Patriots. And I said, Coach, can you do me a favor? They got this league called the NFL Europe. Would you be able to help place me into that, that league? 
And uh, as it turns out, that's exactly what happened. Uh, he was a big part of that, being able to place into that league. And, uh, and that was that was my first start. I got drafted into the NFL Europe. And uh, so that was 97 season you played in NFL Europe, That's correct, correct. 1997. So, Ryan so Fire started, in Dusseldorf. Yeah, so I started covering uh, my first full-time job was with a, a newspaper here in the UK called First Down Newspaper. Mm -hmm. I didn't get assigned to that game. I started in 97. I started traveling in 98. But I was actually on a family vacation about an hour and a half north of Barcelona. Uh -huh. So I dragged the yeah. whole family. We went to that World Bowl. I was there as oh, a fan. Oh, you did? I oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we there. lost that game. You Thanks for that reminder. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. You, had John, <laughs> you were going up against John Kittner, who was a pretty good quarterback for that league. And he went on to be a starter um, in yeah. the NFL. You That's played true. for what, seven NFL teams? He did. I, um, and, I would associate and, you most with the Ravens, though. Is that, when you look back at your yes. career, would you think that? Yes, I had the most success with the Ravens. We won the Super Bowl in 2000, uh, and that was uh, really an awesome time for me and my position. Um, and the kicking game was, was really relative to our team yes. and being able to control field position. And the defensive uh, structure of that team was just, is amazing. It was, uh, I was looking at the stats the other day. Um, somebody had asked me to come on their show and we literally had 980 some yards total uh, defense allowed uh, against us for the year. Uh, and it's just, that's an astounding, you know, average of total offense. That's how dominant, you know, typically, you know, I, it's nowhere even close uh, is the next second um, yeah. team to that stat, but defensively to hold, a group, 17 uh, weeks, uh, hold the offense to just 980 yards total for years. Quite stunning. But that was a lot to do with our field position and yeah. offense struggles throughout that year. But we found ourselves and made our way all the way to the Super Bowl and, and dominated that game. Well, by that time, so I'm kind of interweaving some personal experience and memories into this. By 2000, I was working for NFL Europe. So mm -hmm. I was writing for their website. But one of the jobs as part of the public relations department was I would write a weekly roundup of what the alumni did in the NFL. Ah. So yours was one of the first names I would go and look at. And I would watch your games. And yeah. so often with the punter, right? The punter's the last person the fans want to see because it means the drive's ended, the kick is right. away. I looked at you when I'd watch Ravens games that year when you went to the Super Bowl, almost like an offensive player. Yeah, because you were dropping so many punts inside the twenty field position, as you just alluded to, yes. was huge. Did it feel like a different role to maybe somewhere else you played because of the fact that defense was so good, and your role then became you were equally as important as a wide receiver <laughs> or as a running back? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I was considered part of the defense in that regard. Right. Yes. Uh, you know, Tony Saragusa, my good friend, that recently yeah. passed away, unfortunately, yeah. last summer. Um, he would call me the 12th guy. He'd almost call me a football player, but he'd, he'd stop short of that. And he, uh, that he was, he, yeah, he was a fun guy. Uh, but no, that is so truthful. Uh, Marvin Lewis uh, came to me prior to that year. He said, Kyle, field position. We don't know what kind of offense we're going to have, but we know what kind of defense we're going to have. And between Matt Stover making field goals and the punts and the field position, um, I ended up leading the league for uh, most punts inside the 20, which is an interesting stat within itself for the NFL. And today's it's gotten even much more refined. Um, and it is about field position. Marvin came to me that he was our defensive coordinator who became a head coach, a longtime coach in the NFL. Mm -hmm. 
But at the time, he said, Kyle, if you get the ball inside the 10-yard line 90% of the time, statistically, just as historic, that that team would not score on the offense or on the, the next play on the defense. So, um, you know, that was that was really the way we controlled a lot of the field position. And a lot of teams couldn't get past the 50-yard line at that point if I was able to get it all the way down inside the 20, inside the 10. So that became my focus, and that's what I would do. And and people started realizing that I was the guy trying to get it out, you know, the old coffin corner, which was a yeah. – you know, a term that uh, back in the day was used. Um, and like Ray Guy, he he developed something called the coffin corner. He was an old punter. Uh, but the inside the 20 stat really wasn't tracked then. And then when I got on the scene and we started doing this, that really became a field position. Uh, and it was just so relevant to our type of team. I love the fact that that statistic said they wouldn't score 90% of the time. Didn't also factor in Ray Lewis. I mean, you're never scoring when you're going to go that far. 98, 99% of the time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, just going back to your days in NFL Europe, what were your memories of uh, of playing in front of the German fans? Because now, with you know, I, I enjoyed the first regular season game. I was there covering the game for Sky Sports um, in Munich. Um, what were your memories first? And then, you know, how excited are you about how it's growing? It's, uh, you know, Germany club football. Apparently, when I showed up on the scene, it was a huge, uh, you know, underground of American football like we would play it. Uh, and so those fans would take their days off and they would come watch practice. And, you know, it was it was really a commitment. And we started to see this groundswell. You're like, you know what, maybe NFL fo football could really happen here. And, and it's taken a lot of time. Um, you know, to develop through Europe, obviously, but Germany itself had amazing fan base and our teams, everybody was jealous, you know, when the outside the, the teams, away teams come to Dusseldorf, 50 and 60,000 raucous fans, and they were having a good time because, you know, I think you guys know how to have a good time in, in uh, sports around here. But, uh, you know, it was it was really an exciting time just to feel the the energy of the crowd and that it made me think as a football, American football player that this really will happen someday and that there is a fan base and people understood. And uh, it was still one of those moments though, when the kickers went out, they were like, Oh, they're cheering for us too. And so <laughs> like, well, that's a lot. But uh, nowadays we, you know, it's, uh, yeah. I think the, the fan base is, was amazing. Um, you know, the 40 Americans essentially that we get dropped off into Germany or London or wherever the team was, uh, whoever you're playing for. Um, it was it was really an awesome time to just develop my skill, but also be a part of uh, the NFL, the Europe life and progress me as an individual and living outside the U.S., which people, you know, if inside the U.S., we all need to get outside the U.S. because there's a big right. world out there and it's awesome to see how other people live. And so that I take back more of a personal experience of living in Germany and traveling to Europe, European locations just as like as important of me as a person developing as my football game. So I think finally about that opportunity for six months of my life. And they made such an impression, the German fans, they went from one game, regular season game last year to immediately to two coming up in 2023. I mean, the NFL doesn't mess about with its regular season games. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? Well, it does. They do things for reasons. The NFL, they, um, it was, it was told to me that, uh, you know, the NFL will think about things for five years and then maybe make a decision. 
you know, and <laughs> yeah, <they're very> cautious. <laughs> I think that's the case. But whenever they do something that quick, you're like, okay, there's something here that they're recognizing. And, uh, you know, it's about the money, you know, NFL, we're going to create more fans. We want to generate more revenues. We want to grow the brand. Uh, and when they see an opportunity like that, they just jump on it. Um, you may, I don't, th- don't know if you'll know this or not, but there is a league that's been going in uh, across Europe for two years now. It's called the European League of Football. It's kind of semi-pro. There's kind of, yeah. the, and the Rhine Fire still exists. Is the that right? Some of those, they, they were given oh. some of those old names. The it was Rhine my favorite Fire. uniform, Neil. I love that right. uniform. So the, and Rhine Fire here's logo. The NFL, and had, here's the NFL connection. Yeah. Uh, because former 49ers uh, head coach Jim Tom Sula who absolutely loved NFL Europe. He coached in NFL Europe for years. Yeah. He's the head coach of the Rhine Fire once again. Is it really? Oh, man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Where do they play? Do they play at uh, the same I don't stadium? think they play at the same. I don't know. The stadium. Rhine Stadium. Out. Yeah, I, I need to find out. Played. We had some great nights at that stadium. Yeah. Um, so what was it like playing in a in a Super Bowl then? You talked a little bit about that season. That game, you know, the eyes of the world are on you. What was it like? Well, it, back then we had two weeks to go to Tampa. So we played in Tampa, Florida. That was our game. Um, yep. That was the, the Super Bowl location. So two weeks ahead of time, we were in the city practicing leading up to it. Um, and, you know, from the experience of being a part of a, a team that makes it to that level, uh, you know, the final two NFL teams, you realize how special it is. Every um, Obviously, all the media day and the experience, everything descends on two teams. And then there becomes the personalities of the team, the Shannon Sharps and the Ray Lewis's and Tony Saragusa's and, you know, the the guys that are a part of the storyline. They start building the narratives towards. And for two weeks, you start hearing the narrative and um, the excitement and, uh, you know, builds up. But every day that we went back to our hotel room, we'd have a, a special gift from the uh, from the Ravens ownership. Um, and it just kept telling you, like, this is special, you know. And so by the end of our two weeks, we had a pile of stuff that was, you know, <laughs> from clothes. To the to, game. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was like a Christmas every day. Uh, but the excitement building up was also just super, super stressful because, you know, it just was like one of those games you didn't want to screw up. Right. And you almost go into that that game thinking, you know, I could only do. So I could only make bad plays happen if I <laughs> and so it becomes this du- double negative that you never want to be in in in, in your own headspace. Um, but that was almost like a it, it put such a, a stress level to me that I was so highly tuned up and I, I everything was when it, the actual game got underway that I, I just felt like I was in the Michael Jordan moment where. I was, had played this in my head so many times, like the whole game. And uh, it turned out to be the best statistical game of my career. Um, Ten wow. punts. You know, I had amazing uh, inside the 20s, as we had talked about. Mm-hmm. We, we held the field position. Um, and uh, I didn't know that I was going to have that many punts. The other guy, Brad Maynard, he actually had 11 punts. So combined, we record, had the most it? punts. It was, it was so, a record. Yeah. It was a record. I probably still stands today, but <laughs> but that was uh, that was the magnitude that it was. It came down to a lot of field position yet again, and uh, we had some great returns, you know, with uh, in our own return game, and uh, that helped turn the game as well. So, but the game itself was just uh, you know up to the point of kickoff was just the magnitude of uh, the 
excitement, the stress level, and the th thoughts just flow through your head so quickly. Uh, and then once it goes off and when you get out there on the field and you get one play in, you realize, all right, we're back to football. football and so right. then it became this, this like I'm playing the same game. But leading up to that, it was hard to control a lot of your mental thoughts. But we got through it. That was a game where Ray Lewis uh, took center stage, of course, was the, the MVP of the Super Bowl. Um, I was fortunate to work with Ray quite a bit uh, in the summer of 2012. He came over to London. Oh, uh, we did wow, a few yeah. tours and a few stage shows and a few yeah. events together. Um, so I've stayed kind of in contact with Ray and done a lot of interviews with him. He's so inspirational. Whenever I interview him, whenever you listen to him talk to fans, um, I've seen him address young fans in the audience and telling them how they've got to work. And 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 the 2012 summer, mm -hmm. he would have been, what, 34, something like that. Then it was going into, it was his last season in the NFL. It's we true. used to build interviews and schedules in his PR around the, the workouts. He'd have to work out four times in that day. He was oh, cycling wow. a lot then. So we had to build everything around Ray working out like a machine at yeah. that age. And that ends yeah. with him under the confetti, he, you know, yeah. winning, winning on defense. What was it like being in that locker room with him? Because just hearing him, once he told me, he said, we would, I would tell other players to, as they walked into the Baltimore Ravens locker room, pull your pants up, pull your pants up, look presentable. He was like everything. He was on everything. What yeah. was he like when he was, because he would be oh, uncensored he, in there. He's not like when yeah. he'd been interviewed by me. What was it like? No, he was a micromanager, right? He was one of those guys. Um, I saw Ray from the young Ray transgress all the way through some issues in the past and then become a different, you know, a, a, take his career towards a different point of view and the way he was and, um, you know, and working out and listening to a Shannon Sharp and Rod Woodson and some of those veteran guys that stepped in and, and, the years uh, 1999 to 2000, I believe those guys had an amazing influence on him of, you know, the Rod Woodson's that would have a regiment of a routine mm. that at that point, I think Ray and a lot of us learned, you know, Hey, this guy's after practice, he's going right in doing some more workouts, finishing up his routine for the day. Shannon Sharp brought so much of a regimented, you know, he would make his own food. He would take his own clothes home and wash his own clothes instead of putting it in the, the bag for the rest of the for the uh, equipment manager to wash. Um, you talk about a super detailed guy. Shannon Sharp was that. So I would say Ray learned from a lot of different personalities and experiences that then led him, built him all the way up to 2012. And by then he was a machine. <laughs> he really was. And people would just be able to to grab onto his uh, abilities and um, watch his way that he went forward in, uh, in his football career. Yeah, he was fantastic to watch. Fantastic to speak to and listen to as well. A real showman. Um, tell me about your work with NFL alumni. Uh, you're a board member. Um, what? Well, first of all, tell us what that role entails. And, and uh, of course, thank you. After after football is uh, is a big period for players. That transition, the lights go off. You're not in a locker room all the time. So first we'll tell sure. us your role and then we'll talk about transitioning out of the game. Yeah. So I'm on the board of NFL Alumni Association, which is uh, 38 chapters around the uh, country that make up retired players. Um, there are various groups that you could join when you retire as a former NFL player. But we're one that has been around the longest since the late 60s. It was started by the NFL themselves. 
We are independently operated. Uh, we are a charitable organization. And we try to do good in each one of the chapter communities we live. Um, where I am, as I joined the board a few years ago, and I started recognizing we can do more in the transition of our guys, caring for our own. It's one of our own. That's one of our mission statements. So we're trying to build out more into the, the health and wellness uh, regimen. And that's what I spend a lot of time trying to, to figure out how we look at gaps of care, use the benefits that we have, but life and the longevity of life. Um, you know, How do we prepare ourselves when we actually retire? And what does that playbook look like? So our NFL alumni is trying to take the mantle and, and do more initiatives. And when you retire, here's a place and a, here's the type of health and wellness that will help you with longevity of life. And we, if we do it right, which this launched two years ago, it's NFLAlumniHealth.org, a separate microsite off of our normal site. If we do it right, um, we will help not only ourselves, uh, caring for our own, but the community as well. We all look at ourselves as, and we've demonstrated this in practice as ambassadors. And our message, whenever we take it out and we learn about heart health, what are the signs of stroke? What should our families know? Well, once we are learning about that and once we are educated, we take that and we start list telling other people. And, and it's amazing how many people want to hear more. And so if we can just engage with those type of programs that we are looking at health and wellness, being able to go out to the community and be ambassadors. We're helping ourselves, but we're also helping the community. And that's where we're headed. And it's so important, isn't it, to, to have that place where players can turn because it in the locker room when you were playing yes. hey i've got a sprained ankle go and see the go and see the trainer i've got a cold go and see the doctor yeah that's right i need to i need to get on the bus yeah the bus is over there you know you're you're looked after and then so suddenly you're you're, you're hitting right you're hovering right over the target neil it truly is and i've looked at this for a couple of years now the concierge piece as a current player when you're outside of that of course, the NFL is not going to invest in a concierge like they're mm -hmm. going to just, you know, and unless uh, we made it an initiative with our CBA bargaining, which is something I'm arguing for, that we have a concierge like you never left the locker room. That's what you're talking about, mm -hmm. that even for your family members. All right, let's uh, let's finish up, Kyle. Let's do some quick fire questions. OK, best quarterback you've ever seen. Tom Brady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's an easy one, right? <laughs> so one of his first games, Drew Bledsoe got hurt, and we're he was on the scene playing us a few weeks later. We start with an easy one there, then. Um, favorite teammate, Tony Saragusa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Matt Stover is one A right there too. What about your toughest opponent? What's it? What was a team that always kind Pittsburgh. of Pittsburgh? Yeah, it Pittsburgh. was Pittsburgh. We built a, a love-hate, uh, and I just was on with a reporter, a Pittsburgh reporter, last week, and uh, he might, made made me remember how much uh, our rivalry was uh, really an awesome time in football, uh, but we're trying to get back there, uh, make the two teams relevant again. Uh, I've got listed here. I know the answer to this. I might ask this and answer this. Best defensive play you've ever seen. <laughs> Ray, that's not hard. That's Ray Lewis. I mean, it was um, the desire, I, wasn't it? It was him. He told me yeah. that playing linebacker is about want to, having want to, want to be first yeah. before. Well, look, I mean, you got to start with the natural ability and his, what they call sideline, the sideline, his quickness. Um, there's a pursuit angle in football. Um, he was just, his abilities to just 
feel and see and sense and just react with that quickness. Um, and then you develop the whole football IQ. It just was amazing. And um, yeah, we, we recognized earlier on this guy could run sideline to sideline quicker than anybody. And um, I'm going to finish up with, uh, let's say you've got a hundred dollars in your pocket. You can pay to go and watch one player in the NFL. Yeah. Look, Patrick Mahomes is, you know what you're going to get every, every game, as long as he's healthy. Yes. The guy is like a magician out there and, and he is, you know, that uh, Tom Brady level and maybe he can get there in the career wins and Super Bowls and all that. You never know, you know, careers uh, take turns. Um, and if you can stay healthy, the guy is somebody I would continue. I would pay money, a hundred bucks, whatever it is. I'd to watch him play. All right. Uh, Kyle, thank you very much for joining us on the Decipher Handoff. Wish you all the best with the, uh, the NFL alumni work. And thank you for the trip down memory lane. I enjoyed that. Yeah, right back at you, Neil. Thank you. Let's do this again. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, for this episode of the Decipher Handoff podcast. Um, be sure to keep across Decipher Sport on Twitter, Instagram. I have to read all the – I have to check the socials. There's a lot of social channels now. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok for daily NFL content. My thanks to Kyle Richardson. Uh, we'll see you next month. Bye for now.